Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Here we are once again. Texas gives a top 10 team all it can handle and then some. And then the bottom falls out at the very end. Texas falls to Oklahoma State 13-10. to We'll talk about that game and look ahead to an interesting game, fellas. Texas taking on a winless Baylor team that if you look beyond the raw numbers, they're actually getting better, as crazy as that might sound. Yes, We'll break that down and look at that game and look at the Oklahoma State game. And, yes, I guess we have to talk about the Texas offense on this podcast. So we'll do all that and more <laughs> on this latest edition of the Blitz. Let me bring in the rest of the team. I am Jeff Howe. I'll be leading you through this latest adventure. Uh, the rest of the team includes the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. No longer the man behind the glass, but the man who is now uh, right next to me as we do this show, next to myself and Rod, uh, Matt Butler. Matt, what's up, man? I've just been really daily fantasying it up and looking forward to the World Series. When I walked in here today, it was a cool little moment. I hadn't seen Craig Way in, I don't know, a year or two, something like that, probably a year and a half. Not long. I don't know. I mean, I did stats for him two football seasons ago on Halloween up in Iowa State, but then I don't know if he was at the station, whatever. It's been a while. And it was cool. I walk in, and it's the day the Astros are playing the Dodgers in the World Series, and I'm in my Astros colored shirt. Ghostros! And then Craig Way's in his all blue and in his Dodgers being the big Dodger fan. <laughs> Did you give like, him a stink eye? Yeah, that's weird to see each other like that. Then. No stink eye. No, I like that, though. Craig loves him some Dodgers. Yeah, it's yes. weird. It's like Craig Way versus almost everybody else in Austin who's right. rooting for the Astros. Yeah. yeah. So, so and they love Craig Way. So people are torn. They love and then Craig Way. Probably confused, like what? Like, why is Craig Way rooting for the Dodgers? We love Craig Way, but he's rooting for the Dodgers. So if yeah. this was a if this was a wrestling show, Craig Way would be Hollywood Hogan. It's a sudden heel turn. It will be the exactly. beloved hero turns heel. But you still love him because he's still Hogan, but he's Hollywood Hogan right. instead of Hulk Hogan. And Hollywood Hogan is cool. Hulk Hogan is also cool. And Terry Belize a racist. I yes. just had a great vision in my mm. mind. I wish Craig Way had a heel turn, and he just came in one that day, would be awesome. everybody, and just wild. Isn't there a show yeah. like that about a like a, a broadcaster who did, who's turned heel? Uh, it's like on Amazon or Brock something. Meyer, sort of. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, that's what it is. So Craig like, loves that show. Oh yeah, Craig you, loves that show. You would love that. He show. like t- he like basically like he, he his life like. So Brock Meyer's the guy like so Hank Azaria created The Simpsons and it's this yeah yeah, yeah yeah So he grew up listening to baseball in Brooklyn his yeah. whole life, hearing over and over, but always imagining like, do these guys when they go home, do they still have that voice and say hello? <laughs> do they do that? Like, so, no, yeah, exactly. And he had his meltdown on life, and he had it's basically like his therapy, but now he's embraced it and bought fully in it. It has all the bucks and all the curtains. I always ask Craig series. if Craig did play by play of extra things in his life, like when he's, you know, when he would, like, if his yes. kid's being born, did he do play by play of oh, that? He did he, of you know sex. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Intimate moments. Is, and when Craig does dirty, when he would do dirty talk with his wife, did it, was it like play by play dirty talk? So what you're saying <laughs> is Craig needs to go back to like Craig Wade 1992 and grow the beard back out. 
I'll, I'll remember that, Craig. Oh, you can Christmas see like a stories Christmas story, Craig, with like a by a fireplace being. Uh, that picture exists a, somewhere. It is. No, it's a it's a video. YouTube. It's on YouTube. Oh, is it on YouTube? Yeah, go okay. do research. Go oh, deep dive is this on Craig. When he's doing like uh, high the school Christmas. Yeah, yes. yes, it's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. If you go down a YouTube rabbit hole, I'm sure you could. It's oh beautiful. He's YouTube rabbit holes are dangerous places they to are. go down, man. I've done that before. <laughs> yes. A man, he knows about Hulk Hogan, Craig Way, because he did a show with Craig, a YouTube rabbit holes. He knows about it all. That's why Love he's Craig. the renaissance man here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he had a T-ring, he'd wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, I guess we'll start with some positive news. Go ahead, man. On the show. Uh, Deshaun Elliott's now joined you on that Jim Thorpe Award semifinalist plateau. Yeah, I saw that. And you know what? Well deserved. I did research because I'm a nerd. I actually have the stats here, too, uh, of all the guys who were semifinalists on the top war list and kind of looked at their credentials and their stats throughout the season and did a little research on them. I've seen, I think, most of them play at least one time this season. Right. And I got to tell you, folks, Deshaun Elliott right now, right now, has as good a chance to win the Thorpe Award as any of the candidates. That, to me, is something I would not have said prior to the season starting. And number two, how in the hell – how in the hell did Holton Hill not make that list? I will tell you why Holton Hill didn't make the list. You can tell because me. You got a really good reason. I, I've got a. I've got a, a, got theory. a theory. I got a theory. I want to ask before y'all get into it with the Deshaun thing. When you look at the numbers, cause Deshaun I remember deserves it. Yeah. At the time, Earl Thomas for sure. When you looked at the numbers, deserved it. But because in a lot of these college awards, a lot of preseason preconceived it's, ideas. Is yes. there anybody on the Great table point. this year? Great point. Because I haven't paid attention. Great point. To any preconceived. No, ideas you're right about that. Derwin James from Florida State right. is on there and I don't think he's had a great year but he will be a first round pick right. and there's yeah, a lot of hype around him and what is the Alabama Kent, M- Minka Fitzpatrick, Minka Fitzpatrick. Okay. he's on there too so that'll be and have a great season but it's he's had a, he's gonna be a first round pick and he's a Phenomenal talent, and he's had right. a lot of Mika hype. Fitzpatrick's in. probably going to win the Thorpe Award just because, just because, like Eric, like Eric Berry, like exactly. just because we yeah. all know he's a legit. He's the shutdown corner for Alabama. So, period. There you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but here's why Get Holden all Hill, the default votes for people not paying. Attention. Here's why Holden but Hill's all the time should have won. Here's why Holden Hill's not going to get any love, Rob, because you look at Deshaun Elliott's numbers and the five interceptions is what stands out. Then you start looking more. Four tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, really good numbers for a safety. You look at Holton Hill, he's got 41 tackles. He's second on the team in tackles. Two interceptions. Yep. Only four pass breakups. Two touchdowns. And people who look at these awards will look at it and say, well, Chris Boyd has twice as many pass breakups as Holton Hill. He hmm. must not be that good of a corner. Oh, That's no. where stats are funny, too. Because and, sometimes but, but you have to look I, beyond it because do you know why Holton Hill funny. doesn't have that many pass breakups? People don't throw it to Nobody him. throws the ball. Exactly. You know, I, and I, I don't have a, stats are in my bag now. I don't want to hold up the show by going to get stats out of my mm-hmm. bag. Which I'm basically becoming like a Rubbish. bag lady. I'm like a full. I'm almost a forty year old man, but I'm coming like a bag lady. I have stuff in my bag, I have like cream in my bag, and all mm-hmm. kind of crap in there. So I don't want to go to snacks, a look. But I snacks. Sandwich. I do. I have sun, sunflower seeds. But I, I have I, eaten a chicken sandwich. 
sandwich from Rob's bag I had bag a chicken seat, exactly. It's basically kind of a survival bag. bag. <laughs> like, if you get trapped yeah. and have if to I sleep get trapped anywhere. For those who haven't heard the story before, Rod and I were doing a pregame show, and I was like, man, I didn't have time to eat. And Rod goes, here, brother, I have a chicken sandwich. I'm like, <laughs> you just keep chicken sandwiches in your bag? It was, yeah, I only been there for like a Radio couple of hours, but it was still good. Though. It was good. <laughs> I, I wasn't complaining. I just thought like, wow, Rod's like, Rod is the bad Dude, lady. Like, I, I need a, I need two Advil, a safety pin, and a chicken sandwich. Boom. And I usually have it in my bag. I'm serious. I'm all about the man bag. Like, I don't, like, I wish that we didn't have these stereotypes about men and men and women because I would carry a bag with me all the time, like a man, like a man bag. And I would carry a, you know what, a change purse. It's a European A coin purse. Because I love to carry change. I love giving exact change for stuff when I have cash, but I can never do it as a man because you never have exact change. What about your germaphobe area? Because you don't like the It's true. But in my bag, I'll carry. Wash your hands. No, I'll, I'll carry the, the the germ stuff like the sanitizer yes, in my bag. Yes, it goes Just, in the no, bag. I remember it's like key to the bag. You carry lotion like we had cream. Well, I'm a black man. The first time I met as you, a, you had cocoa. As butter a black man, you. you have yes. to carry lotion. I guess it's one of those things. I don't know where you're going to carry. Your car used to just smell like butter. Like <laughs> cocoa butter. <laughs> not not to derail our cocoa butter conversation, but Rod, like you were saying about Holton Hill. No, no, I wasn't about Holton. I did the research. Yeah, we got way off track there. That yes. was fast. <laughs> That's how fastly things can spiral out of control in the show. But I was doing research on. On the, uh, the the candidates for the Thorpe Awards, the semifinalists, it's in your and I will say this: there are candidates on there with one interception, a few of them with one interception or right. two interceptions. So I, I understand the stat-driven argument because you're totally right about that. But this isn't all stats. Like they are, there are guys who have less prolific stats than Houghton Hill, and they made the list. For whatever reason, now that most of them, or maybe Penn State has two guys on there, and that's probably one of, and most of them is because they they are undefeated too. So a right. lot of it is based on your the story of the team and how right. good they're doing. Two DBs from a three and four team on the Jim Thorpe Award semifinal. Exactly. Probably, so I understand, yeah. and you're right. It, you know, people don't throw at Houghton Hill, so he doesn't get as much action anymore. But I'll just say this, man, Houghton Hill. Based on what he did versus James Washington, Oklahoma State, and we'll talk about this, of course. Four catches for 32 yards. He made a whole lot of money when he was matched up on James Washington, which I I was hoping was going to be the matchup we'd see a lot of the time. Let's go ahead and and start our Oklahoma State recap right there, talking about the job Holton Hill and the secondary did defending the deep ball. And really, Rod, other than than the one deep ball to Marceau Aitman, Brandon Brandon Jones Jones fell down. He fell down. Yeah. They got nothing in the deep passing game. And I want you to break this down, Rob, because we talk about TCU does different things. They run some split coverages. And yeah. Gary Patterson's got a veteran defense, and a veteran defense is dialed into his system. That's Man. hell on earth for offenses in the Big 12. But Todd Orlando basically – we haven't seen Texas run – a lot of two deep man under this year, but that's pretty much that's what they, they did. did. Yeah. There's two they, deep man under with a robber. Yep. So, Rod, I want you to break down job. schematically what the that looks deep. like. Yeah, the two deep basically, uh, and it, it, it's honestly my favorite coverage to play. Really? Oh, it, it, it liberates you as a cornerback. Because yeah. I got, listen, I got two safeties over the top. So basically, those two safeties are playing cover two, which means they're splitting half of the, they're splitting the field in half. So they're going to take halves of the field, which is basically the premise of cover two. So you got your two deep, the guys are just playing the two deep halves. And then every other corner underneath, the, uh, even the inside slot guys, they're playing underneath man. Now, 
schemes are, they play this differently. Some schemes say you should play inside underneath, right? Kind of mm-hmm. let them get on top of you, and then you play that underneath hip, right underneath that hip, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and some and, and some coaches, they allow you to kind of, based on the release of the wide receiver, to play underneath. The, 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 the one common denominator is you play underneath that wide receiver. You want to undercut those, those inside routes, those short routes. You don't want to allow those, because you got help over the top, so you get beat. Hell, the safety's supposed to be watching the quarterback. He's supposed to get a break on that deep ball anyway. Right. So you don't necessarily have to make uh, covering the deep ball a priority. You want to cover everything underneath. You could be as aggressive as possible. And sometimes you can even you know play it like off, like play like you're playing. And it allows you to do really good stuff with your shell coverage because I don't have a deep responsibility. Hell, I can play six, seven yards off, come up, bump at the last minute, then play underneath. Oh, man, it allows you to do so much as a corner. So I love gotcha. the okay. man's jumping. And you if you have a robber. As which they were playing too, right. you got somebody inside to, to help you break on the in cut, so you can actually be more aggressive on the out cuts. It is a, oh, it's a beautiful coverage. It's a beautiful coverage. And I then whenever it. you look at the way the safeties, each one has its own individual skill set to where the strengths of those yeah. guys can then sort of be that web of connectivity to the oh, yeah. other different DBs. That if you say have a strength or deficiency, the other player can actually help each yeah. other when they compensate between. The and two. you can disrupt the timing of the routes because you're, you're underneath. You you can be more physical with those wide receivers. So and you don't have a responsibility over the top, so you don't have to worry about your technique of staying on the right. you know upfield shoulder and all that. So you literally can be so aggressive, and the quarterbacks you, you just kind of uh, confuse those passing windows, or you you uh, you you shrink those passing yeah. windows. I Talking to the players after the game, it really sounded. We've heard Tim Crowder in the past talk to us about uh, all the defensive coordinators he had while he was at Texas, and he had one year with Bull Reese, and then mm-hmm. it was Greg Robinson, and then Gene Chizik. Uh, but you've, we've heard Tim talk about he never had a defensive coordinator at any level break down how to defend a spread like Greg Robinson did. And it sounds like Todd Orlando went to that Greg Robinson school of, hey, if they catch a five-yard hitch, we'll give them that all day because we trust ourselves as tacklers. That yeah. five-yard hitch is going to be a five-yard gain. Yeah. So if they want to try to five-yard gain us down the field, then right. go right ahead. It's yeah. not going to last. You're going to either press and make a mistake or whatever. Exactly. And going back to Holton Hill, Rod, he is, in my opinion, he has become the best open field tackler of a defense. That now, it's like apples and pomegranates compared to the last two years because this is a, I'm going to go ahead and say it, this is a great tackling team that Texas has defensively right now. They don't they don't swing and miss. And you look from the Maryland game to now, it doesn't even look like the same defense. They, they, they are very sound. They're able to come to balance, make plays in space, and limit those. If the play is designed, if it's a seven-yard out, that play's going for seven yards if they catch Agreed. it. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, the second of contact, basically. It's like not even like you're holding them up and nobody's going, but that first guy coming normally is making that tackle. Yeah, and if you're not making the tackle, then you're at least stalling that receiver or the per- the ball carrier in time to uh, r- your other guys to rally to the football, which is something they do really well, too. If you're talking about right. tackling – Guys are running to the football because you don't make every tackle, but if you can be aggressive enough to force that ball carry to think twice or to stall, mm-hmm. then boom, then the rest of the crew can come. Funnel back Party the at the team. football. Yeah. yeah, Rod, we talk about we talked about the explosive plays, and you look at Oklahoma State's explosives in the game on Saturday, the sixty-six yard bomb, which was a drive they did not score on. They missed a field goal, and this defense, this defense is great in the areas where you need to be really good in the Big Twelve. You're red zone. really good on third down. You're really good in the red zone. You're, you're yeah, good on fourth down and third. Yeah, yeah fourth exactly. down too. You're, yeah, you're able. You're able to get off the field when you on schedule, and you're able to hold them to field goals instead of touchdowns in the red zone. Yeah, no, I agree. 
And when you look at the explosives Oklahoma State, as you take out the 66-yard bomb, they had four other explosive passing plays. None of them went for more than 29 yards. It's amazing. That is out. That I, it is amazing. It is outstanding. Like you can't quantify how great of a defensive effort that is. Yeah. Which we'll talk about the offense here in a little bit. That's what makes the offensive issues all the more frustrating well, no. because you when look you at can... that defensive performance and you say you should win a game if you do that against Oklahoma. Well, Chris State. Warren actually said that after the game. Chris yeah. Warren actually did say he that said defense played yeah. well enough for us to beat any team in the country. We didn't do our part. And I agree with you. Considering that Oklahoma State came into that game leading the country in pass plays of 30 yards and 40 yards, and James Washington was averaging nearly 26 yards per reception, yeah. and Mason Rudolph was averaging 17 yards per completion – I thought, you know, they would they would get a lot more chunk yardage pay, plays in the pass game. They did not. And Texas was able not only to limit those plays, but when they did give up a big chunk yardage play, like you said, they'd bow their back. That was that was the fewest amount of points scored in a win for Oklahoma State, I believe, in twenty two years. Wow. Yeah, since Bedlam in ninety five. <laughs> I mean, think about that. And and you know, and even Mike Gundy after the game, you saw if you watched I think, it, I think oh, that's when it was. Yeah. yeah, I think no, 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 you're right. To um, put context, it, I remember I think Texas lost to in ninety six to Oklahoma State, which was like one of the end of beginning of the end of the McAvick era. That was ninety seven. Yeah. Seven, yes, yes, yes. Um, like but that's how long it's been. Yeah. yeah, if you look Mike Gundy after, he's basically uh, saying yeah, we escaped here with a win, barely, by the hair on our, you know, chinny-chin-chin, if you will. Like, we we shouldn't have won that game. Um, and you know, we'll get into the offense and how they won that game. But the defense, you know, getting back to it, Malik Jefferson, I think he had 14 tackles in that game. And let's just say this, Malik Jefferson, when he has his best game, there is a trend that the defense, they have these extraordinary performances too. Because he had a great game like that versus USC. He had a really good game actually two weeks ago versus Oklahoma, yeah. and that second half effort by the defense we all agree was something uh, to be admired or something to be complimented. So that when your best player on defense, we all agree he's the most talented player on defense, and I don't know if it's by that much now considering the way Deshaun Elliott and Houghton Hill are playing. When he's playing at a high level, that defense plays better. Go back period. to go back to last year. What were, what, were the, what were the three best games he had last year? Notre Dame, Baylor, Texas Tech. And those things probably yeah. correlate with one another yeah. that, you know, like if you say the defense isn't playing well, it's not going to allow Malik to be in position to play well. But also if the defense is playing good, it allows him and then vice versa. Yeah, you're right. He, Chicken or the they, egg. I don't know which one it is. Each yeah. other, but they can either go one way or the other way. And we've seen it Agreed. in literally the last two seasons, the whole spectrum of like the pol- polarizing ability on one end or the other if it goes wrong. Rob, we saw them mix up their packages, Texas did, uh, and they went with uh, – I hadn't really seen them do the much of package. it. The lightning package. I call it the Tom, NASCAR yeah, package. Tom Herman yeah. calls it. Basically, with, uh, put all your best pass rushes on the field. You keep – you don't uh, – unlike that third down dime package they've been running, they keep Puna Ford on the field mm-hmm. and you leave – Malcolm Roach in the game at end. You bring Brecken Hager in at end, and you bring Gary Johnson onto the field. That's a lot of speed nice up speed. front. You got a big body to clog the middle and a lot of speed flanking him. And just looking at the snap distribution, like you look at the Oklahoma game, Gary Johnson played three snaps against Oklahoma. Not to say the defense was bad against Oklahoma, but Gary Johnson plays three snaps against Oklahoma. Brecken Hager plays nine snaps against Oklahoma. Against Oklahoma State, those numbers shoot up. Gary Johnson, 69 snaps against Oklahoma State. Brecken Hager snap numbers go up to 44. So you're able to get more speed mm-hmm. on the field. And when we saw Hager with two, let you do that. with two sacks in the game, mm-hmm. he's kind of found a home now at that defensive end spot. And the good thing, Rod, with this defensive line, I want to hang on a defensive line for a second, is now you're at the point in the season where, okay, you figured out skill set-wise and based on matchups, 
unlike what's happening on offense, Todd Orlando figures, okay, against this opponent, this is a game where we can run with more Brecken Hager and yeah. more Gary Johnson, or this is a game where we need more Charles Menehu and Chris Nelson mm-hmm. or whatever. I really like the way that they're distributing reps on defense and, and how they're attacking these offenses. I wonder if the offensive line of Oklahoma, which we agree is better than Oklahoma State's offensive line, right? Correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder if it had anything to do with the way that he um, used the defensive line personnel. That yeah. he thought they would have been they would have been less effective versus Oklahoma if you probably lose, you lose more of a, a kind of a combo hybrid DN like hey hey yeah is. probably yeah you know what I mean against Oklahoma but that's that's good against, coaching that's, no no that's, I know I agree that's with you that's my point is I, I yeah. think that he's actually looking at unlike the personal issues mm-hmm. on the offense side of the ball you got Tartalendo looking at the uh, like the actual opponent and saying okay my guy can be this guy's skill set can be effective against this team but wouldn't be effective against this other team because because they have more high-caliber personnel. I mean, to me, that's coaching in a nutshell. Yeah, like, just it really is. For your and some people are upset that, you know, we, oh, well, we've seen more Bregan Hager. I'm like, well, I don't know if Bregan Hager would have been that effective in other situations prior to this. And maybe it's also taking Todd Orlando time to get to know his personnel. Hell, it's only seven games in to mm-hmm. him actually being the coordinator of these players. Yeah, right. So I think we, it's a little bit of, of both of those. But I, I, I applaud Todd Orlando because I agree with you. I think it's more him looking at that Oklahoma game and going, this guy is going to be less effective if I use him in this lightning package versus Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. But against Mason Rudolph, who is less mobile than Baker Mayfield, the offensive line less formidable than Oklahoma's offensive line, this guy can eat. And he did. Yep, and you look at just ability to adapt or refine to the different setup or different uh, situations against your opponent, and going forward in the Big 12, probably going to see more of that possibly. Agreed. You'll have similar yeah. ones. But also, you know, what the way I'm Jeff and I were talking about snap counts for players – prior to this on the offensive side, and you can sort of look at and see how there are a lot of players, a lot of variants, uh, higher numbers, lower numbers, certain players like, say, Warren last week getting, I think it was 62 snaps, but then guys like Lil Jordan Humphrey always getting snaps in the 20s, and it may just show that they also have their niches and matchups, and it may be Mm -hmm. situationally explained, well, why didn't we do this against this team against USC, or why didn't we do this this week? And I think exactly what you were just explaining about the defense may also be the case with them trying to find which pieces fit, which ones are most effective, and then how they match up the most against the opponent because that really is a one I think maybe the most important part of all production when it looks at stat numbers but that's a a theory that's still being put out there the difference is it's working on defense it's not working on offense so we'll we'll touch it's on we'll touch on the offense here in a minute um sorry I was just looking in the other room Rod when's the last time Brad Kellner had a haircut uh Probably been a while. I think he likes that that uh, the bushy like surf really? surf yeah right. surf, beach bum look look to, to him. To each I, his own. The chicks, I think the chicks dig that kind okay. of thing. To I don't know. BK's a young guy. Just so explained, remind me of that Rick Renner guy on Fox Sports Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people just like that. BK's a young cat, so he he yeah. knows he must know what the lady. Bedhead like. look. I think the kids yeah, are going there you for. Go. <laughs> Um, but anyway, sticking with the D, sticking with the D line, <laughs> Rod. When you talk again, talking to the players after the game, when you talk to them about why why was this game plan against Oklahoma State able to work, they point to the defensive line and and when this defense has been really good, they've given all the credit to the guys up front and and you can run a three man front and, and mm-hmm. do all these things on the back end we're talking about. It makes it easier when the opposing offensive line is unable to block three and four man fronts with no with no sorts of run blitzes or anything like that. It's just say hey, if you could push our guys around and, and run for two hundred yards on us, so be it. 
that didn't happen against this defense on, on Saturday against yeah. Oklahoma State. And yeah. you credit Puna Ford and Malcolm Roach and the guys that are getting it done. Puna Ford had a career-high two-and-a-half tackles for loss. Chris Nelson makes the big play with Puna Ford in the red zone to force the fumble. Uh, this defensive line, Rod, it's starting to look like, and it has for the last few games, starting to look like the defensive line that in the spring – we heard these coaches talk about in practice what it looked like and what we heard in camp that these coaches talked about it looked like. Yeah. When they talk about Puna Ford being a dominating guy, and I said it after the Maryland game, Puna Ford's just a guy. He's, he's just a guy. He's nothing Jag. special. Yeah. Now we're starting to see, okay, this is the Puna Ford these coaches were talking about. Yeah. Well, you're starting to see that from a lot of guys. Um, I think that's the what makes this defense so extraordinary is that now you're starting to see that from you know guys in the back end to in the secondary, Deshaun Elliott and Houghton Hill. It's not just a flash that they had a couple of good games. No, these guys have actually put in right. the work now. You've seen the consistency. They're playing like some of the best players in the country at their position. And I think you're right about that with Puna Ford. Um, and I, I, I think a, I think Puna Ford is overachieving. I, I, yeah. I don't know if yeah. Puna Ford's – you know He's what I mean? maximizing, you know what I mean about right. that? That's what yes. you want to get from exactly. him is to get that Great point. out of normal guys. I, I, I don't necessarily – if I'm scouting Puna Ford, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's I don't, the Belichick theory. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I scout him as a him, guy that ends up getting drafted or uh, high in the NFL draft or anything. He's one of those guys I think that is playing at a really, really high level, and as Matt put it, he's maximizing. And you need other – I mean, Charles Aminahu, there are a lot of guys that are playing some – having their best seasons that you've ever seen them have on the 40 acres. Right. Um, and I think that's the key for Tarlando, and that's what makes Tarlando, you know, right now – Right, and a lot of people's minds, a lot of Longhorn fans, they're thinking that he is going to be a one and done because of the the kind of reinvention that he has done with his defense. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hope I, not. I don't hope not either. But and maybe him and uh, Tom Herman have a gentleman's agreement where, hey man, stick here for the rebuilding. When we get it back on track, then go take your dream job. But you know, in coaching, as we've seen with Manny Diaz, even here on the Forty Acres, and Vance Befford. Man, it, things can change really, really quickly, yes. and there's a really good chance. I don't. It may not happen that Malik Jefferson and Houghton Hill may be gone mm. after this year. I think you can put Deshaun Elliott and Charles Menehu in that Thank conversation you. too. Exactly. And you, Michael And what was the key to Manny Diaz's defense falling off in 2011? Oh, everybody leaving. He lost. Right? He lost Keiston Randall. He lost Keenan Robinson. He lost. Uh, Acho. Uh, Manny Acho. Blake Gideon. Blake Gideon. He lost. A, he lost a ton like, of his, his central nervous system and also of his leadership, though, in that defense. And the same thing with Vance Bedford, right? He loses Malcolm Brown on the D-line. He loses Quandre Jordan Diggs. Hicks. He loses Mikael Thompson. He loses Jordan Hicks. He lo- you know what I mean? Steve Edmonds. And his first year. After, yeah. And after that, the, the defense drops off a cliff. And what did I say? I've been comparing these defenses for the last two years, actually. Mm-hmm. Like It feels like the last two years. But since, since they hired Tyler Linder, I'm saying – they're very similar. So if Todd Orlando wants to avoid that 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 drop off, hmm. you either matter make sure you do a recruiting job and keep all three of those guys here on campus, or you do a really good job of developing the talent behind them, like Alabama, and just having those guys ready to go. Like either one, I think Todd Orlando is going to be a hot name regardless. Yeah. But I think that's why you cash in, man. That lottery ticket. You don't you don't sit on a, a winning lottery oh, there's ticket. There's no way he'll pass up a head you, coaching you, you job. You take a great coaching yeah, yeah, job, man. Sure. When you got it, because you never know if it's going to open up again. Texas uh, fans will just hope he doesn't. But yeah, it'd be idiotic I'm gonna, not to. I'm going to enjoy this defense for these five. I know. I'm, just, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even throw it out. There. No, no, right. no, because it's true, Rod. You got to start looking ahead because now. It's like right. I wrote on the site leading Could up to the game. Texas was basically playing for their season on Saturday mm-hmm. because with the win, you'd finally get a win over a top ten team. You've only got one conference loss. You're still in the thick of the yeah. picture for the Big Twelve title race. Now you're looking now at it. Now it gets real. Now you're three and four, three and four for the fourth year in a row in this program. Yeah. After seven games, to be a game yeah, under five hundred. Yeah. 
you two conference losses, so you're really you really have no margin for error in terms of the conference championship game. You still got to go on the road to TCU. You still got to go on the road to Morgantown. Ain't no guarantee they're gonna make a bowl game. No, no, no. Because Not I think, I think the mm-hmm. in my opinion the likely scenario for this team, I think you're going into that day on Black Friday against Texas Tech at five and six, needing to win to get to a bowl. Oddly, they could also be That's bowl scary. eligible right now if those three games go different. That just shows the margin and like no. how much of this day- team is really the same, but the outcome really can sway one way or the other. And this year, maybe one of those years. They, they lost to three top ten teams exactly. by a total of what eleven points or something. Yeah, like but that? That, play the, cupcakes you know, and generally strong schedule. That, you're seven and zero. Oh. But you know, that USC loss. That, that USC loss now though, given the way USC season is shaking out. That's it's really weird the parallels between Charlie's first season and how Tom Herman's first season is playing out because that USC loss it's looking like that that UCLA loss for Charlie where the further away you get from it yeah, the bad. more you feel like gosh man that was one that got away yeah of course well, it they was. all got away yeah but I agree with you considering USC's not playing well right. and Sam Darnold is not and I think recently they even said he might not even go to the NFL draft. Texas. Uh, that he might, you know, I think he should go to the NFL. If you're not playing well, this you don't come back and <laughs> play worse. Like, leave. Get the yeah, hell out of get here. Get your money. Uh, Teams but, overdraft quarterbacks all the time. Right, exactly. So, but, uh, yeah, but I agree with you on that. USC, that win, not looking, at that loss, not looking as impressive of a loss as it was early on because, yeah, USC's right. not you know, a good the, team. You the, know, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma game, it is what it is every year, and I'm just glad that that rivalry now, we've got multiple years now where that game's been competitive, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it should be each and every year. And we're talking about the Oklahoma State game now, and and we'll we got to get to it sooner or later. We'll go to the offense because Rod, that's a game where you hold Oklahoma State, you hold the number one offense in the country to ten points in regulation. There's no reason you shouldn't find a way to win that game. All you scores, yeah, and that's that's the frustration points. that I think a lot of fans are feeling with this team right now, and why the the you're seeing the frustrations bubble over on social media and people being vocal about it. And you you know the the thing that blows me away, Rod. And when you look at it, is I look at the second half production, and they had a great drive coming out of halftime. And I don't know if this move means anything, and nobody picked up on it. I'm I, I'm glad I decided to to wait and eat food at halftime instead of before the game. I'm walking back to my seat with a plate of food. I see Drew Maringer in the press box, like hmm. walking to the coach's booth. I'm like, strange. He's never in the booth. And look down the sideline, sure enough, he and Corby Meekins have switched spots. Drew Maringer's a play caller. And Tom Herman said on Monday when he was asked about it, that's the rationale. He wanted a guy who was a play caller, maybe that extra set of eyes in the press box to help Tim Beck. Interesting. And I don't know if that was it, but they came out and had a great drive to open the second half against Oklahoma State. 13 plays, 71 yards. I'll talk about that red zone series in a minute. But that was a good drive. They did some good things. And then they got away from it and got away from it to the point, Rod, that on their last eight possessions, including the one in overtime, I just want to read just read you what happens. Three plays punt, three plays punt, four plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, two plays into regulation, four plays interception. That, sir, is 44 total yards in eight possessions, 1.8 yards per play. Yeah, I guess that, uh, that marriaging experiment didn't work as well as they thought. Matt, I know you're an analytics guy. You don't need to be like a, an over-the-top analytics guy to know 1.8 yards per play sucks. 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 Yes. I guess it's terrible. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, it's putrid. I mean, you hear, you, we heard all uh, for past month, basically, Tom Herman talking about why you don't give the ball to Chris Warren because it's 2.7 or 2.8 per carry. That's, that exhibit right there shows how much worse it was. Well, let's start with that. And uh, 
you could tell Tom Herman was frustrated with some of the line of questioning on Monday, but you're three and four, and the offense is garbage. People want answers. Garbage. And, you yeah. know, when he's asked, you know, is Tim Beck as committed Blame. to the run as you want to be? And it's like, well, I guess I don't. Tom Herman's, one of his popular responses on Monday was, I, I, I guess I don't understand the question. Oh, yeah, Mensa doesn't understand the question. So yeah. you look at it now, and it's coming back on Tom Herman because people want to know why is this offense so bad. After Charlie Strong, as inept of an offensive mind as Charlie Strong was in the two years before he hired Sterling Gilbert, they found something on offense last year. Sean Watson was better than this. Sean Watson was probably better than this, which is you can make the case. You can make I, the case. Think about and, that. And the fact that we're having the conversation, and, sh- and I can't tell you, you got to think about it. And I can't you tell you, think about Rod, it. you're an idiot. That that tells you. Exactly so Watson's where we offense are might be as good as this with yeah. this offense. And <clears throat> the fact that they just don't, they don't. Tom Herman doesn't seem to have a lot of answers. I just want to just run something down that just blew me away. The 90-yard pass play from Sam Ellinger to John Burt, which John Burt did stay in bounds. As oh, that was as amazing. amazing that was as that great was. Great athleticism. It's track right there. You see that track. Uh, it really was. Props to, on his toes. Props to Anthony Geronimo from CBS Austin for yeah, getting a close look at, the, at awesome. his feet, and Burt's feet never appeared Anston to touch man. the line. Oh, no. Rod, do you know that is the only play from scrimmage that this offense has all season long of 50 yards or more? They did not have a play from scrimmage through six games of more than 48 yards before that That play. Duvernay throw was 48, I guess, right down the sideline. That was a close Colin Johnson, Sam Ellinger to Colin Johns for 48 yards against USC. USC, yep. I remember. I the second, wasn't very. And the second most, the second longest play, Sam, Sam Ellinger to Colin Johnson for 47 yards against USC. Pretty good. So, this offense hasn't been very explosive, which leads me to. And Colin Johnson, one of your most explosive receivers, you just brought it up. Has been demoted. We talked about the personnel. Less explosive. We talked about the personnel decisions on defense, and let's go to the personnel decisions on offense. Because I talked about that drive that they had to open the third quarter. Mm-hmm. That was a great drive. It's a great drive, and it, it really it kind of got back to some of the things we saw Texas do really well last year: quick hitting runs, short quick passes to the perimeter, mm-hmm. get the play get the ball to your playmaker's hands, let them work, and then they get down in the red zone. And it's third and goal. It's third and goal from the four, I think, is what it was, which is pretty manageable. The playbook should be open at that point. They throw some kind of out back shoulder throw to Devin Duvernay, mm-hmm. and it sails past him. Yeah, and I can't help but wonder, mm-hmm. you know, should the six six guy with the ridiculously large catch radius be the guy running that route? Six six in the red zone. He wasn't even on the field. Was he? Wasn't he? even on the field. Wasn't even on the field. You didn't even have him on the other side to be a decoy. Which is which makes sense. Like Zeke was like, oh man, I got this beast over here at safety. Come, would you roll your coverage this way? You know what I mean? Or maybe that defensive back says, oh, you know what? I'm taking away the fade. Usually, I take away the inside route, but six six, I got to take away the fade because that guy, if the right ball is thrown, doesn't matter if I have good coverage, I'm done. And if he does that, then maybe he leaves open the slant. There's so many different things a guy mm-hmm. like that can open up on the red in the red zone. But he's been demoted. He's been demoted. Well, I know. And, and I, then you've been demoted. You can't play in the red zone in Tom Herman's offense. See, I think, though, with those situations, like, we see the mm. skill. Everybody can see that he's a freak. I think there must be something going on that either Colin is in understanding assignments and in understanding his uh, job, I, something to keep him off the field. Otherwise, well, it's really 
it'd be an odd time to stick your foot in your heels right now because now you're in conference play and had a chance to win. And if you were trying to, like, say, send a message, that would maybe be something you did earlier in the season. Or maybe right now, knowing that this team isn't going anywhere, he wants to make sure that it's felt across you know no. the entire roster. I'm just saying. I, I don't disagree. Know. I think. I think. I I'm think. I'm not the, saying that I decide I, either. I'm just thinking. I, I about think the it's. Idea. I think it's more than just a play on the field and practice. I think there also is something about him. What I call, we call culture benchings now, yes. where he wants to send a message to the guys in the locker room, and this is a long term play by him. That's what I'm thinking. Um, and that's why. It, it, for different guys, yeah, it's been different circumstances. Like I said, on defense, we don't see culture benchings. You better leave Todd Orlando's defense alone. <laughs> right? Things are working <laughs> Mike, over there. And it's working because Chris Boyd, bad game against uh, Oklahoma. They picked on him. Oklahoma State, was he at 13 tackles, two PBUs, something like that, right? So, you know, you have a bad game than a good game. So, Todd Orlando has a different process by which he wants to yeah. have guys earn their positions and he that trust factor with him and, and the players. Tom Tom Herman's doing something different on offense, and maybe it's because offense, like you said, it just ain't working over there. So they're so making gotta changes do different to make things. stuff work but instead. But yeah. the, the personnel decisions are at at times at times. Oh, they make you wonder. Dumbfounding, yes, and your, bewildering. Your personnel grouping on that third and goal from the four. You were in eleven personnel with Chris Warren and Cade Brewer. Dorian Leonard is your X receiver. Devin Duvernay is your Z receiver. To the ball's kind of in the middle of the field, but I guess that's the field side technically. Yeah, because it's not quite in the middle of the field. Devin Duvernay's your Z, and Gerard Hurd's in the slot. And the same thing on that last play of the game where Ellinger throws the pick, right? You have no little Jordan Humphrey out there. There's no Colin Johnson out there. Of course, Amante Foreman's out there. He hasn't seen the, the, the field in three games. And him, Hill Maps was hurt, so that's why he went out there. So I, I won't hold that against him. But – why is Lou Jordan Humphrey not out there? I know Colin Johnson's in the doghouse, so that's why he's not out there. But Lou, Lou Jordan Humphrey? I thought Lou Jordan Humphrey was. He, he, he's all good. No doghouse. Practices well in the game. He produces. Why is he not on the field during the last play of the game? And ironically, to your point, Jeff, which you brought up last week on B&E, uh, Tom Herman brought it up last week too, but I think you spoke about it uh, most eloquently, I should say, the scramble drill. How ironic mm-hmm. that the game ends – on their inability to execute the scramble drill. Yep. Right? The Literally, way. they get so they confuse on the scramble drill. Like so, he says, I thought Gerard Hurd was gonna fade to the back of the end zone for the jump ball. And he and, Gerard Hurd ran out of bounds. And Gerard Hurd was like going to the pylon, like for the, you know, for the like the sideline quick throw. Like, you know what I mean? I was and, watching from the opposite end zone. Exactly. And I thought, oh, I thought he must have got shoved out of bounds. No, Gerard Hurd ran out of bounds. But, but, but what did we talk about last week? We literally talked about it. it was like and Tom Herman brought it up. So I'm like, yeah. I thought Tom Herman was going to rectify it. He's like, oh, they got to figure out the scramble drill because that's Sam Ellinger's yep. X-Man ability to resurrect a play. to go from Something to, we have that the opponents yeah, don't. Exactly, to, to turn something that is dog blank into mm-hmm. something. He can do that by rolling out and improvising. So you tell me this week, you guys did not execute red zone scramble drill? Mm-hmm. And ironically, ding, 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 ding. One of the best wide receivers in the scramble drill are Monty Foreman. He actually yep. is really good at it. Go back and look, even earlier this year, the USC touchdown scramble drill. That's just him. Uh, yeah, it's at Sam Baker rolling it. out, and that's him ball. understanding route concepts and where I need to go to the stay three, at target the, for my wide receiver. Best, the three best guys that you have in the scramble drill, in my opinion, are Armani Foreman, uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey, and like Reggie Hemphill Maps. Lil Jordan Humphrey is really good at it. And I think Reggie Hemphill is too. Yeah, Reggie Hemphill's hurt. 
and no LeJordan Humphrey on the field for last play. And Amani Foreman watched that play from the bench. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And you end up throwing a pick because guys are they there's a miscommunication about the scramble drill, I'm which watching, means as a coach, I'm watching the play right now. You have yeah, not your your personnel grouping again. Dorian Leonard. Dorian Leonard's your X into the boundary. Lorenzo Joe's your Z on the field side, and Gerard Hurd's in the slot. Why are you playing musical chairs as his wide receiver position too? Like, don't you know your your? But here's the thing, like, where's Lorenzo? I love Lorenzo Joe. Really, Lorenzo Joe? I haven't even seen Lorenzo Joe. Tom Herman. Tom Herman said this was the same play Clemson ran against Alabama to win the game, and it might have been. Might have been. Clemson. It didn't look like that when Clemson <laughs> ran it. I love that he brought that up. He's like, yeah, you shouldn't even said that. Seconds. You shouldn't have even brought that up, Coach because Herman, because that it don't, it don't look that alike. It within two seconds. That was if not you, there, so then it turned into a scramble drill, and that's when he threw the pick. If you was look, after when you should have thrown you, But it was, it was open, though, actually. No, Hurt, that's what I'm saying. So that's Hurt, what happened. Yeah, Hurd was, was open. Scramble drill, look at how this play breaks down. Hurd is open initially, but Ellinger stalls. He pauses. Right when Gerard – it's – it's a pick if, play. I don't know if it's Lorenzo Joe just sat down. I don't know if this is the worst executed play design in terms of a curl. Yeah, or this is the worst execute of a rub he I've did, ever he seen. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't pick. He didn't pick he didn't the guy. He the rub. Stopped. He just yeah. stopped. He just yeah. sat down. I agree. But right when the right at the mesh point of the rub, Gerard Hurd's open. So if Sam Ellinger just throws it right there, or throw, throw it to the pylon. Throw it to the pylon. Yeah, let him go get it. Which is when they threw to Rimfro in the and game. then it becomes a scramble drill. And Gerard Hurd just floated out of bounds because mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to, what to he's do. Not we talking about drilling. that? That's what Even you got to do. He's a quarterback. Which Teach is the wide receivers the scramble drill. So obviously, I'm just. Just, well, I mean, I didn't go to practice. I, no, no, that. I didn't go to practice every. I didn't go to practice every day. But something tells me y'all didn't practice a scramble drill. Why the or hell it's not? A brain fro- because you you brought it up last week. They didn't seem that much better in the scramble drill. No. They didn't seem that much better this week. They didn't seem. They didn't seem like they had a plan together about True, flood but it's, concepts and things like that. On the player that when to identify the players broken down. Well, you know what? Gerard Hurd playing wide receiver is also your damn fault. Because yep. he ain't supposed also, to be playing wide receiver. Sorry, I got loud. Well, That's well, also saying, your fault, Coach Armand. Because now something I brought up on this show. On this show, all right, weeks ago, months ago, Tom Herman would regret putting Gerard Hurd at wide receiver. Do I look like Blackstradamus now? And you know what? I'm not the smartest football man out there, but Tom Herman, you didn't see that coming? You Mensa, you didn't see this coming? You, you had didn't 40 see minutes coming. into the show in your pool as to when Rod would go on his Gerard Hurd rant. You so, but but it was so obvious that he had to yeah. do it, and he refused to do it. This is, this is my point about Tom Herman. He's got a stubborn streak that that is uh, uh, a lot of it is the reason he's here today, so yep. I understand why he trusts his stubborn streak. A lot. I'm telling you, it could also be his downfall, man. Oh yeah, that 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 Gerard Hurd move was all him saying, "I'm right and you guys are wrong." I know, I know, Gerard Hurd's gonna be an All Conference wide receiver, and you guys know what the hell you're talking about, dude. You don't even need Gerard Hurd at wide receiver. You're forcing him out there. You know, he don't. Even, I don't even think he's been a really effective as a wide receiver out there. You've been force feeding him out there. Dude, it's it that that to me is the most unforgivable thing for Tom Herman's done so far. That's the one thing I can't get over. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. And now I'm reliving it all over again. Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about quarterback because actually Gerard Hurd is going to have to work Sorry. some quarterback. Sorry for yelling week. in there and screaming. For, for, at least for a bit. Sam Ellinger for was in, was in concussion protocol. His, his symptoms flared up Saturday well after the game Sims. ended. He had concussion-like symptoms on Sunday. So he missed practice on Sunday. So, Rod, 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom Herman said three or four days before you can get back out there. That would mean the earliest he could probably practice is, what, Thursday? And yeah. we know how Tom Herman feels about practice. You must be the greatest practice player in the history of football to get to see right. the field at Tom Herman's if, team. If, I'm Tom, if I'm Tom Herman, I don't even so I don't even attempt to play Sam Ellinger. I, I don't think they Bradley. are. Listen, I'll tell you what this really is, in my opinion. I think this is all Texas, uh, basically CYA mode, covering their arse about the Oklahoma game. Now, I'm not saying they did anything wrong in Oklahoma game when Sam Ellinger went down. I'm not saying they did anything. But they got a ton of national criticism. Yes, it is. A ton. I'm talking about from CTE specialists, and I'm talking about concussion specialists. They got a ton of criticism. That was a national game, and people thought that what? Sam Ellinger was knocked out, whether you believe that or not, whether you believe that you know they, they did the right thing or not, right. whatever. That's your stance. Yeah, My Dr. point is this. Hershey. They got a lot of criticism, and I think this – flared up. Nobody can really tell you what hit it was. It was like, oh, I think it was that hit. I think it was that hit. Hell, Sam Ellinger takes like 10 hits he shouldn't take a game. So you don't know what hit it was, yeah. okay? He finished the game, and he actually did interviews afterwards. This is this is, this is is Tom Herman saying, yeah, dude, we need to we need to make sure we, we ease it on this thing, because nationally, people are hitting us up, and this, guy, this kid plays the game like Tim Tebow on steroids. Mm-hmm. So he don't even give a damn if he's concussed he's or concussing. He's gonna, exactly. He's going to go out there and go balls to the wall and get us get us in another situation where we're going to be like, see, I told you, Tom Herman, you should have done that. So I think this is them saying, he's not going to play this week, in my opinion. He's not going to play. Yeah. He's not going to play. They will keep him out. That they want to make sure. Because first of all, Mama, Mama, who's who's on TV 10 times every game, Sam Ellinger plays, you th- how do you think she feels about it? She don't give a damn about Texas record or Tom Herman. She cares about her baby. Yeah. So you want her to be happy, number one, before she goes on somebody's show and starts talking about uh, his, his situation and his uh, medical evaluation. So I think this is them in, in this town, that community, Westlake, is a powerful community. I think this is, this is Tom Herman saying, all right, you know what? We got a lot of flack. We got a lot of blowback from that decision we made in Oklahoma game, right or wrong, whatever. And you know what? Let's right now do everything we can proactively to make sure that this kid is – can play the rest of the season and his career isn't shortened by some concussion issue, which, by the way, we mm-hmm. know can happen on four days because David Ash is, is happening. Yeah, here. quarterback. Right. And then Ellinger's a guy that may be as physical of a quarterback as we've ever okay. seen collegiately. So, I mean, some players just have that mentality that you, we're, like we were saying, can be your own worst enemy. He is his own worst exactly. enemy. And I love the kid, but he's got to be a We talked last week, though. This, this, this isn't built to last. It's but then think about last, the culture man. of being a just a quarterback and a competitor. Like, we heard whenever they began these concussion testings, things like this, people like Peyton Manning admitting that on the front end, they are dumbing down and failing questions and tests. Yeah. So then when they are concussed. They can skew the baseline. It, yeah, because now yeah. instead of having to the ba- be 80% yeah. non-concussed. I can be 60% and still pass the test. And still pass it yeah. even though I'm concussed. So this yeah. just shows the level. And then that's where you have to get to the point where it's, okay, you trust a doctor, you don't trust a doctor, and that's about where you're at here. And if the doctors say he can play, it's like how Herman said in the press conference, well, then it turns back into football because Ellinger plays football. Now, you can try to coach a player to play, run smarter, call those things that a quarterback yeah. does. We also know that as a freshman, normally those are the players that learn the slowest over time and adjust, especially when your strength may be that exact physicality. Tom Herman is very cognizant of what people are saying about him, extremely so. Some people may say to his detriment, okay? So I can tell you for sure, people telling that he, people saying nationally that he cares more about winning than cares more about the health and safety of, of his players. Right. bother him. Oh, I can tell you right too. now, it bothered him.
him. He, he won't admit it. It bothered him. And that's why you won't see not. Sam Ellinger play this week. You're yeah, going to see Because yeah. I, I think he, in his heart, he's like, man, I don't like that that narrative. People already in H-Town think he's an a-hole. They hate him. You know what I mean? So they love this narrative. He doesn't want that to continue. So I right. think this is him starting to be very sensitive and delicate about the way he handles the situation. And, number one, it's a blessing in disguise because Tom Herman wants Shane Bouchelle to start as many games as possible. Because if he starts, the more uh, games Shane Bouchelle starts, the better odds He's going to be here for that 2018 quarterback competition, and that is truly the long-term goal we, for Tom Herman. We, we, we talked about it on the show. I yeah. wrote it. I wrote about it last week. As excited as everybody was about Sam, Rod, I, I kind of piggybacked off what you said a couple of years ago when Gerard Hurd took over. You said, "Hey, with the, as as much as they run Gerard Hurd, Texas will need Tyrone Swoops to win them a game at some point." I said, "At some point, they're going to need Shane Bouchelle to go win them a football game." Yep. And you're here probably at that point this week against Baylor. We'll talk about Baylor in a minute, but we got to talk about this offense and. We talked about the personnel issues, and I know, I know, your offensive line is decimated. I get that. I can see that. Ronnie Millsap can see you. Exactly. you, you ain't got Stevie a Wonder offensive can see that. line. I understand you don't have a bell count running back, even though Chris Warren, Chris Warren played eighty six percent of the offensive snaps against Oklahoma State, which is Matt and I were talking about before we started recording. Matt, that's like Le'Veon Bell, Zeke Elliott territory in terms of snap percentages. If you're talking 90-plus percent, those are like the Le'Veon Bell, the very few guys in all of football that hit that at running back. Right. So that's how much Chris Warren is playing right now. But you don't have a true bell cow running back. I get that. But, Rod, that doesn't excuse some of the personnel decisions you made. Agreed. Some of your red zone play calls. Yep. That that, That doesn't... that doesn't allow you to be incompetent at your job, which this entire offensive staff at this point, just slap the incompetence label on them because I'm as much as I was hard on Sean Watson that first year. Yeah, you got to be every bit as critical of this offense too because yes, I I understand what you're lacking, but that doesn't excuse that you can just throw your hands and be like, well, I mean, it ain't gonna work. Ain't working. You guys are getting paid a lot of money to try to figure it out. And again, when your defense holds the number one offense in the country in terms of total offense, it's averaging about 50 a game to 10 points in regulation yeah. and gets you good f- and a punter that's that's winning you the field position battle. Oh man, we haven't talked about that guy yet. You should find you should luck into 13 points in regulation to be able to win that game. Yeah, and the best thing about Michael Dixon, not only is he the best offensive weapon you have right now, he He's a perfect complimentary piece to the defense. Yes. Um, he, for that defense, for you to have to go 80 yards, 80 plus yards against that defense is, I mean, it's, that's a Herculean task for any offense, even the number one offense in the country. So I think that Michael Dixon, I hate to say it because this is something Aggies would brag about when Shane Leckler was on campus, <laughs> but he may be the best and the most the most important weapon that Texas has. Period. Offensively or defensively. I don't ever I don't ever pat myself on the back on this show. I'll pat myself on the back because I called that early in the season. I said if this defense keeps continuing the way they are, Michael Dixon becomes the most valuable piece of this team. Ain't no for a for a team that's gotta win gritty, nasty, win the field position exactly battle. Right. Boom, you got Hitting a punter who can flip the field for you every time. Five yeah. point five punts inside the twenty. I think he had four punts of fifty plus yards. I mean, he is right now on pace, and I think Drew Lieberman is the one that had the stats, so I want to make sure I give him props that he is on pace to break the single season yards per punt record. I bet he is on he is on too. yeah, he is on pace to break it and if he does, man, that's he's averaging he's, he's averaging 40, 49, 49 yards, 49 yards per punt. Yeah. Well, and of his 30 of his 38 punts. Yeah, this man. is that's how this insane this sound. A lot of yeah. those aren't even maximized too cuz they're angling into right. corners in the end zone. And he's uh, got a couple of shanks. We know what Of his is. of his 38 punts, only 4 have been touchbacks. 19 of 50 or more yards. Yeah. 
Very impressive. And he, I mean, I remember we, we really freaked That's out nuts. about him last year after the Notre Dame game because I just remember looking at the first. It was a couple three and outs that were traded, yet Texas gained 50 yards in field position. And those were the hidden yardage that you don't think about. You're like, oh, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Nothing happened. It's yeah. like, well, but if those three and outs happen and you are getting 60 yard nets and then they're getting 30 yard nets, then and you then end 60 up with yard exactly nets right. and 30 yard nets, that's a 60 yard advantage. Boom. That doesn't show up anywhere. And those are the type of things that teams like Harbaugh or Belichick, you look at the Ravens, you look at the Patriots, what their defenses do with their punters and how they always win in those margins. That's how you can always set up a team with a little bit worse field position, just going to make it a little bit tougher. No, if he breaks that record, he's going to win the, what's the Ray Guy Award yeah. for this punter in the country. And he's going to come back. He'll be like, oh, he's going to leave it in there. He's not leaving it in there. He's going to come back. He's a punter. I said that. Six. I was still calling well, that. No, no, he's, he's not. He's not because those guys from Australia, where the- Pro kick program. They they all about getting your degree right. and stuff. That's one of the things they preach. So he's gonna say and get his degree. I, I asked Michael big, Dixon about that. To be a big good tw- example. Yes, exactly right. I, otherwise, yeah. he leave because he came to America to be a pro. I, yeah. I asked Michael Dixon about that at Big Twelve Media Days, and he said no. He is fully intent on staying off. Yeah, he's got that, those guys want to do. Yeah. But if I'm Tom Herman, I'm on the phone with That's Nathan true. Chapman and Pro Kick right now, and being like, Hey, look, can you make got sure another you one, one of these guys, guys lined for up real? And if he breaks that record, we gotta we gotta start pubbing him up and promoting him more, man. Like I said, we gotta give him a nickname. We should call him. Michael Longball Dixon from then on. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And then like they make t-shirts that say chicks dig Michael Dixon's long balls. We got to do cool stuff like that because that would make him like an what all-time we, great. So what do we do next year when Michael Dixon's your punter and Cameron Dicker's your kicker? Cameron Dicker the kicker. That what would be great. Dixon and, and Dicker. Dixon yeah. and Dicker. <laughs> that There's should a be a show. LHN. Boom. You want a great show? The Texas Kickers. Dixon and Dicker. Boom. Dixon and Dicker's your kickers. <laughs> Dude, that's a done deal. LHN, you are welcome, damn it. It's you know like I mean? easy sit- money I'm giving to you guys. Sitcom. Yeah, it is. Should be money. It's, it's just like great. Two PIs. So, hanging out with, uh, yeah, Dixon so Rod, and but I want to get back to this offensive staff issue. And Tim Beck deserves every bit of the criticism he's getting because now we've seen a pattern of just the same uh, atrocious, Bobby Burton called it coaching malpractice, uh, just atrocious decisions and play calling and Stuff that look again. I get you're down offensive lineman, but the frustrating thing to me about this game was you look at that opening drive of the third quarter and they found stuff that worked. Quick hitting runs. They they ran like it was almost like severe like inside track zone read stuff where there was one where uh, everybody crowd every it was a third and short. Everybody crowds inside. Ellinger pulls it and he doesn't even have to truck anybody because he's got ten yards of him. And the next time they ran it. Everybody kind of fanned out. Boom, he hands it to Chris Warren on a third and short, mm-hmm. converts, and, and you move the sticks. And I'm like, wow, like this is great. Like run on first down, short pass on second down, get yourself in a third and manageable, and boom, keep moving. And then they completely went away from it. And then it turned into just a series of like sprint outs and rollouts and slow developing pass plays. And yeah. Like if your offensive line is such a, a, a burden, it's a, such a yeah. disaster. Why are you going to ask Denzel Okafor to do stuff that you know he can't consistently do right now? I know. And that Denzel Okafor, he's not a left tackle. Like, I think that's pretty much been established. He's either a guard or a guy that can maybe be a right tackle in a pinch, but he's not not the anchor of your offensive line. Right, and especially not now at this point in his career. But you're going to ask him to just consistently win one-on-one battles on the edge? Good luck. I know. That's what what upsets me about the offensive coaching staff, and that's why I would like Tom Herman to take more of a – ownership of the offense is because you know you can't and I, I'm sure they understand this now they're, they're having these conversations too on the Fort Acres you can't run Tom Herman's offense 
You can't run that system. You don't have the personnel to run that system. But I know you want to come close to that so you can establish your culture and start kind of building. Um, there are some people who have suggested, and I believe even um, uh, Bobby Burden brought this up in one of his pieces not so long ago, that you revert to some of the old principles and philosophies of Sterling Gilbert that a lot of these guys may be used to, and that at times if you have Shane Bouchon at quarterback, why Shane not revert line. back to some of the veer and shoot that he may be more comfortable with than some of these guys were recruited to play. Yeah, um, but people have talked about that, but that is just a suggestion that back is – Back to long-term like we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Guys. But I think it gets to the, the frame of mind, and at least what the coaches should be thinking is that, listen, what is what's the, what can we execute – what can we be successful at with the personnel that we have? It's the same stuff we talked about when Sean Watson was You know what I mean? Like, office. you can't run your – you don't have the tight end. You don't have the running back. You don't have the O-line. The quarterback situation is uncertain and, you know, the depth issues there. Wide receivers – with what you have, the wide receivers that aren't demoted or – with what you are putting out on the field, what can you do best? And for me, for them to get to the seventh game of the season, not going to the eighth game of the season, to not get to that point – I know that's changing because, you know, you lose your starting left tackle, you lose this guy. But for them not to have figured that out by now, that gets back to the identity thing. To me, that is the ultimate damnation. That's the ultimate indictment of Tim Beck. And yeah. then getting up to Tom Herman. Tom Herman, you can't – so I'll give you a great story. 1987. Uh, the replacement players are playing in the NFL right before the strike ends. So uh, the 49ers, Bill Walsh is the coach, playing up against the Giants with Bill Parcells as the head coach, Bill Belichick as defensive coordinator. And I think it's a Monday night football game, actually, with replacement players. So mm-hmm. no Joe Montana, no, no Jerry Rice, right? Yeah. And you know what Bill Walsh does in that game, the innovator of the West Coast offense, arguably the greatest football mind in the history of football. He runs the wishbone. Mm-hmm. He ran the wishbone most of that game. And people ask him, why'd you run the wishbone? You're the West Coast guru. He's I like, what the hell are you thinking? You can run the West Coast offense with these bums? Yeah. I got these I bums over here. Whole yeah. offense and these guys and by the way, I think they beat the Giants that day, He's too. Like, well, what'd you run in high school, buddy? Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> like, exactly right. No, no. no he no, had I mean, a quarterback that ran the wishbone, I believe, in college and ran that. That was a comfort zone. square hole. It's something um, that simple. I, I believe they beat the Giants that day, but uh, Bill Belichick talks about it and talks about how it was one of those uh, profound moments for him in coaching because he was the defense coordinator. He was like, and Bill Parcells looked at him like, you got a you got a plan for this? He's like, they're running a wishbone, man. What do you mean they got a plan for this? Ain't nobody planned for that. No. But it, it gets back to the sometimes the system, it cripples creativity of offensive coordinators. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta revert back to being just a football mind. Like Greg Davis. We talk a lot of crap on Greg Davis, but Greg Davis was a good football mind, Great. man. Like he would look at a He's guy, MacGyver. look at an offense, look at the raw materials and go, all right. We got Chris Sims. We're going to run pro style. It looks like a pro style guy to me. We got said B. We're running pro style. Uh, he look at Thanks. D.Y. and go, eh, nah, Never he ain't pro style. Like Let's make yeah. something up. Let's make something Let's up. Go. Let's go zone read. We're going to piecemeal this offensive philosophy, this one here. We're going to piecemeal it together. Did the same thing with Cole McCoy. No. Uh, kind of a West Coast hybrid of a high percentage passing game and a little zone read. You know what I mean? He mixed it all in because he became to a football mind at one point and said, you know what? I, I don't even know if he even had a system to run, but that's just the beauty of Greg Davis. My point being, I think Tim Beck and Tom Herman got to go back to being a foot like football-minded coaches mm-hmm. and just say, you know what? We can't run what we want to run. Ain't yes. no way you could do it. You can't do it, and you ain't our brows. That scummy son of a – you know what I mean? You, he, he ain't that, that kind of genius where you can turn something into nothing based on your system. So – or Cliff Kingsbury, for that matter, who does the same thing at Texas Tech. Give him some props. You need to revert back to being a football mind. 
Go look at the players. Go look at their strengths. Go look at their skill sets and build the scheme around them. A few simple concepts. They have not done that yet, and it's really frustrating. Let me read you a couple quotes um, talking about that very thing, and then I want to talk about some personnel stuff before. And, and this is bleeding into our conversation about Baylor. Tom Herman was asked on the Big 12 teleconference this week what he likes about Matt Rule and um, kind of what just what he's seen from Baylor and uh, the difference between kind of what Rule ran at Temple and what he's running at Baylor. Mm-hmm. This is Tom Herman's take on the Baylor. Tom Herman talking about the Baylor offense. Okay. Okay. The offensive philosophy is a bit different. He, Matt Rule, inherited a team built for a spread system, and rather than stick a square peg in a round hole, he's tried to adapt to that system. They do it the right way. They're tough, physical. Awesome. Because Matt Rule wants one pro style, doesn't he? Yeah. He wants one more of a pro style, a pro, well, a pro-oriented philosophy. And after they pro got scheme. beat by Liberty and UTSA, they realized that wasn't going to work. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. these guys were recruited to run the spread. All these guys yeah. run the spread. It's what they do. You know what? We're going to run the spread. So Charlie Strong figured it out. Remember Sean Watson? His pro, what was it? A pro hybrid, a pro style. Yeah, I know it was a pro style. And then Charlie Strong was like, "Yeah, you know what? We're recruiting these guys a to run West the spread. Pro they run the spread. We got to run the spread." And he brought it's like when you ask Texas players that spring, "How would you describe this offense?" I don't really know. Yeah, <laughs> I think one. I don't really know what we are. Not sure what the hell it is. Actually. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Yeah, I remember that guy's like, "Hope like you, eh?" Yeah. If you don't know, how the hell am I supposed to have confidence in this thing? <laughs> And I think that's where the offense is sort of maybe because we've been talking about well, why haven't these guys stayed in these, you know, got more snaps, things like that, that maybe they're playing with these roles. But it's also like, well, when you look at the line and I like ID that say if you wanted to change to being a team that could just power run, well, I don't know if the offensive line is going to allow you to you're do going that. You're going to game so, eight. You, you well, know I know that, you, but you've it, been without Connor Williams for a month now. Come on now. And still have them fail yet still be trying. The understanding is. The understanding is this offense has a ceiling, clearly. It's going to have a ceiling uh, a very low of what one. you do. Yeah. But it, it can be better than what it is. So here's Tom Herman when asked a follow-up to that in the press conference yesterday why Texas doesn't do the same thing. This is Tom Herman's response. There was a Doak Walker Award winner at running back, an All-American left tackle, and two really good tight ends. So I think that what Matt has done is use the personnel he inherited to the best of his ability, and we're working on trying to do the same. How going into game eight are you still trying to figure that out? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't I don't get yeah, I don't get how yeah, I don't I don't get that. Yeah, it's broken. I, don't know. I sort of concede that though, that if you literally are trying all like one week this guy's at running back. Well, we've had a different wave of receivers, different wave of receivers at every single game. But whose fault is that? Exactly. Well, What's your own fault? Well, I'm see, that's the thing. I guess other people are trying to blame something and blame a fault while you can just sit back and look at it and be like okay well yeah that sucked too but at least they're trying something no, because I, it's like what should they do i don't know i'm not a play caller but if the offensive line ain't working it's gonna be okay. hard to run the ball then it's gonna be hard also to throw the balls but if we try I, Matt, that's my point parts, on this drive to open the third quarter you found something that worked yeah and you didn't do it again yeah well, you I, totally neglected true. it and i'm not saying that that's ex- excusable that, that is very bad what they did there but also i haven't dissected this see what the defense, what their adjustment was to that. I would say this about co- about play calling. Play calling is creativity, a lot of knowledge and experience. So I understand that. So I, I don't, I'm not as critical of the play calling because yeah, play I calling is tough. It is really, really tough. It's a tough thing to do. Trust me. People think they can play Madden and think they can be a play caller. But the personnel choices to me, personnel is common sense. It ain't that. It it ain't. Yeah. It's not that uh, convoluted. Until it's not we get that, that long tough talk that you're talking about about well, well, well when other no, guys are missing out on playing yeah, time. Maybe, but, but I'm saying that all these I'm things saying, are. My point is this. In. My point is this. 
Tom Herman, if that's the case, Tom Herman's in a situation with the offense personnel-wise because that's he chose to be there. Yeah, He chose to be bereft of talent at wide receiver at yes. certain times because that's the personnel decision they Long made. Term. You chose to have lack of quarterback depth because you didn't want to move Gerard Hurd to, wire, to yes. quarterback. You know what I mean? So some of these things are of your own doing. Agreed. Even the Chris Warren thing early on in the season – you wanted to not establish him as a running back. Everybody else was kind of on board. So some of these things, the reason they are in the position they are is because yes, of personnel decisions that they chose to make. Now, whether they did that because of a long-term vision, macro or micro, that's a different discussion. My point is you can't blame anybody for that, and that's why all the blame is coming on Tim Beck and Tom Herman right yes, now. I that's why you said people yes. want to blame somebody. That's why they're blaming because they say, you put the best players on the field, then the product would be better. Your play calling would be more productive. Yep. You know what I mean? If you get the ball in the hands of the right guys. You're not doing that. So then I need your offensive genius. If you're going to take the playmakers off the field like Colin Johnson and Chris Warren and Amante Foreman, then, okay, Tom Hurley. I've got to see there's a it's method like to the match. Boom. Time, and there is no method to the match. You're just doing it. And it's like, okay. It reminds well. me what we saw with Charlie, how it seemed as if he was making these decisions knowing that he has time, yet it was sort of ironic to see that considering that last week you could have been playing still for the big 12 championship if you're able to beat Oklahoma State you're that type so you have time to go take advantage of it right now we just didn't see them with it so that's why it's befuddling I guess and Matt, Matt I'm not I'm not trying to like start a debate or anything I'm no, not trying I'm, to like blatantly disagree with you my point is you can't nobody can sit there and tell me Texas is the only program in the country that's dealing with injury issues on offense but it hasn't had to go back to the drawing board no but nobody no, no. says that okay cool what, then go back to the drawing board? Well, no, that boy, about Texas's injuries and that. No, no, that's, yeah, that's, what, that's what I keep hearing from the coaching staff. People well, we've, we've had yeah. these injuries. Well, they okay. have the offensive Right, I get it. that. I get that. But at the same time, you're going, you've had, I said, you've been without Connor Williams for a month. You've known what you had on the offensive line. You know it's not very good, yet you continue to put them in positions where they're doing stuff that clearly they can't do. So why are you continuing to bang your head against the wall and asking Denzel Okafor to do yeah. stuff that he's proven time and again on film he can't maybe do? Maybe it's a Charlie Weiss principle. <laughs> have you seen that pile of crap out there? Well, may, maybe it's that the assumption by the coaches that they have, they, they're developing these players exactly. at a faster rate than they're actually developing. You know what I mean? Like they, coaches are like, oh yeah, this, he's ready for that. And he's like, no, he ain't ready for that. You know, I mean? uh, you have no other option because the guy behind him sucks even more. And I'm I not, think that's where the growth is has to, and it's obviously frustrating when you see the constant mistake. But I think maybe that with a constant lack of production, maybe because the pieces just aren't that good. And I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying they're not growing. I'm not saying the players aren't getting better. I'm just saying. There's got to be more than just well. I mean, we've we've got injuries, yeah. and and this is what it is. Like like Rod, you just broke it down, and 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 I'm just just now hitting me. Like there is no method to the madness. Like if you're gonna make these personnel decisions yeah. based on such and such, and you say it's competition, and it doesn't work. Yeah. Then I, I don't I don't know what you're trying. I don't know what you're getting accomplished on that side of the ball. I, I don't. I and I'm not asking you to go out and score 40 a game. No. I'm asking a game where your defense plays a championship level, gives a championship level performance yeah. against the, the number one total offense in the country, coming in averaging over 600 yards a game, almost 50 a game. You, they hold them to 10 points. You, you got to be able to win that ball game. I don't care what. You know, don't ask you to score 40. I'm asking you to score 13 points. You could argue with Michael Dixon's performance as the special teams and the defense outperformed in three phases of the game. And yes. Texas still lost that game because of their offense. That's yeah. how bad it was. Mm. Yes. That's how bad it was. Think and about that. One good thing <laughs> and you were at home. But you had a lot about of this, advantages. And I, it may not have been a different reaction if, the say, that play goes differently. But also how close Texas was to the win. And just you learn about those margins that one brain fart by a throw. It either Hurd goes the wrong way or Ellinger. And now it's total failure 
failure for the game, and it's a loss. No, it's more. That, it's more yeah. than it one maybe throw. masks it. So you have a tr- I'm saying it's good to have these conversations because the team was the same team, really, no matter what the outcome was of that Ellinger play at the very end. It's good that we talk about it because at the loss, you examine it more so than you do during the win. When you have a true freshman quarterback, though, you're gonna have those moments. Yep. This is what it is. Or a guy that's <laughs> just a tr- tr- uh, yeah. he converted to wide receiver playing. Yeah, wide but receiver. you're not in those games without that true freshman quarterback. Either. No. It's exactly. a gift to the curse of having good. a gunslinger. It is a gift to the curse. You know, you don't make it to overtime with USC and Oklahoma State without him. Yep, but, and we have a know. sledgehammer at quarterback. He yeah. may not be there all the time. Again, like I said, fun it's to not, watch. It's not it just it's not just one throw. It's not just one play. It's not just one series. It is like one point eight per play over your last eight drives. Like hmm. I've seen, I've seen That's bad bad. High school teams do better than that. Yeah. No, what the thing is, you are, you're not seeing as you pointed out the progression. I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so what'd you add this week? What'd you? What's the? What did you? What's the wrinkle? What is the development evolution of this offense this week? And it's, I, I, it's hard for me to catch it week to week. I it's like it's resetting you. each week. It does. Re, that's great. Great point. Well, it resets and I every think week. it sort of yeah. is because the situationally, I think no, show I think nothing. that nobody has stood yeah. out necessarily, maybe on the field or in practice. That then it becomes situational on matchups, and that's why we're seeing the variance in snaps to all these. Even with players. personnel, everything. And he I think that every may be it's that. Just, it's just a horrible scenario for an offense. Like, yes, not good. <laughs> we're, we're, back, we're back to 2014 where it is a week-to-week proposition on offense. Pretty much. And as we talk about Texas going against Baylor, the offense is going to have to change again, Rod, because you, you we're assuming Sam Ellinger isn't going to play. And I who knows? Maybe he practices late in the week. I don't know. But he probably shouldn't play. He probably shouldn't play. Three days plus Sunday, so it'd be yeah. We'll find out more Wednesday or Thursday at the earliest. So Shane Bouchel is going to be your quarterback, and we've seen the two start Shane Bouchel's made this season. Both defenses, Maryland and Iowa State, played him the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Drop everybody into coverage and make Best him three. make decisions, make yeah. him make throws. So what is going to be the counter to that for this Texas staff? That's going to be that. That to me, honestly, that to me is where this game is going to be won and lost. Agreed. What is your counter? Because you know, you know, how to don't get don't tell me, don't tell me after this game. Well, we su- didn't expect we didn't to see expect this coverage. This. <laughs> you know exactly how they're going to defend you. You should yeah. have a really good idea of point. what they're going to do. I agree with that. What's going to be your counterpunch? Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And. Don't tell me, oh, well, our running game was ineffective, so we had to abandon it. I know you can't you run the know ball. You're, no, you're, exactly. You know going in your running game is going to suck, so don't give me that either, okay? So I need you to know some things about your team going into this matchup that you don't run the ball successfully against anybody necessarily, and you know how the defense is going to attack you. So with those givens, all right, with those truths, you should be able to put a, real, a, a fairly competent game plan together. Yeah. And I think the high percentage short passing game they did they executed versus K State is kind of the way to go even with Shane Bouchel. Because remember, 380 yards passing for Sam Ellinger, 150 of those are yak yards, yards after the catch. Lou Jordan, Humphrey, and we even saw it with John Burke last week. Yeah. This this group, if you get the, them the ball in space, the wide receivers, they can make something happen. Mm-hmm. So just I, I need more of that. Yeah. I, to me, that's kind of where you start. But Rod, here, here's something that's going the extension back. of the this running is, game. Exactly. Going back to the personnel on offense, I wanted to get this in before we wind it down here in a few minutes. Mm. This, this is just it's kind of uh, Tom Herman not really contradicting himself, but this is again I don't I'm not seeing the method to the madness. And again, you can only put so much into quotes in a press conference, but when it's two drastically different answers, it, it kind of makes you wonder. So he was asked about the running game. And this is his quote on the running game. When you go in with a plan and that plan doesn't work, you have to adjust. Mm-hmm. Our running backs are averaging 2.7 yards of carry somewhere around that neighborhood. So I don't know what Chris's average in the game, and I think that's about where we're at on the average for the season. 
So you're not you're not going to survive many games rushing running the ball for two two and a half yards of carry with your backs. Yeah, okay. that was after the Iowa State. I remember I think that. two couple weeks ago. No, that was this was Monday. This was Monday. That was this week. So he yeah. said it again. He, he said it again. No, he I, said, yeah, he I remember reiterated so this fact about two point eight per carry. Exactly. So, <laughs> so then he's asked about Amani Foreman and Colin Johnson. Why your leading receiver in terms of yards isn't playing? Why your leading receiver in terms of touchdowns isn't playing? And this is Tom Herman's response. Part of That's, it. The statistics are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what that has to. What that I don't know what wow. that has to do with a whole lot other than that week and that game or for a couple of weeks and a couple of games. Each game and each week of practice is an independent event. There you go. And I don't know many teams where it's not. Like you said, Matt, they reset it. And I so agree he, he totally is resetting it every – he's reset. He might be purposefully, intentionally resetting this thing every week because that's his big culture play for long term. Because I, Matt made that point too. I agree with it. It's and almost in the like production, it, it makes total sense. I and mean, he's literally – I don't agree with it. He's being too analytical. I know what he's talking about because I think a lot similarly to him, he just doesn't get it out as well. And I do the same thing because you look at the production that those players had in those games, it's because they were able to exploit situational matchups. And I really mm-hmm. think he is one that they may be – micromanage and hyper examine things too much instead of like you were saying coming back to being a football coach and letting yourself then be a football coach and then situationally adjust they may be at that point where they're trying to find ways they don't fit optimally to what they do so then they're trying to take advantage of the mismatches and that's where you're finding these game by game variances like if you look at Baylor this year and what they do against the run it just pops out how horrid they are so despite everything we've said and how bad they are Texas is that running the ball? I think Texas might run for 300 yards this week just because of the opponent and because he's going to be going and looking at situational things yeah. to attack. So he didn't do a good job of explaining that because he maybe didn't like the question or took it personally. But it does make total sense that those stats totally don't matter if, say, this week it's going to be a totally different ma- matchup for those players. Hmm. I, I get that. I, I get, get that. that. But, again, That's to go back point. to the conversation that we had about defense, Todd Orlando can rationalize – well, why don't you play uh, Edwin Freeman more? Why didn't John Bonney play more? Why didn't Hager play more? Well, you going to argue with the results? Yeah. Like, it's why? working. Oh, that NASCAR D-line's going to look it, good in the Big 12. If it ain't yeah. broke, don't fix it. Agreed. All right? Yeah. But when nothing's working on offense consistently, we got to ask these questions. And Tom Herman – Not yet, Matt. Not yet. Tom Herman might not like the questions, but until something else happens, we got to keep asking. Yeah. I agree with that. No, I'm with you on that. I, I – I, at this point, I'm wondering if he'll because it doesn't seem like he's going to change his uh, the way he's building the culture and rebuilding the program. So offensively, I'm just waiting on Tom Herman to take over the offense because I think that's what we're we're yeah. we're leaning towards because he's got he's going to keep giving love to Tim Beck at one point, but at, at, at some point he's going to have to go. Okay, um, you know what? I'm going to take and somebody's going to ask him, are you going to take over more ownership of the offense? Because I think that's where we're leaning. I don't at. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think this can happen for the same Maybe reason. Publicly, the same reason what ultimately happened to Charlie when Charlie took over the defense. Once you, as a head coach, decide I am calling plays on this side of the ball, and you are publicly declaring, look, the buck stops with Tom Herman offensively. Agreed. No question about that. Every, yeah. Everybody should know that if they don't already. Agreed. But once Tom Herman says I'm calling the plays and it doesn't work, nobody left to blame but yourself. The only person you can fire at that point is yourself. Yeah, but Tom Herman's not gonna get fired this early. No, he's not. But I'm yeah. saying. Trying to insulate him. He may himself. not volunteer it, but he may just also take over the I'm power saying I'm saying right say now publicly. Right now, there's no way he can bring Tim Beck back for 2018. 
There's no way you can do it. Okay, well, maybe that's what I'm saying. He's leaning that way, but you make a good point. I understand the insulation that coaches have to, you know, have right. because for job security. But I don't see any way, yeah, that Tim Beck turns his thing around. Maybe no. I'm wrong. But I, I have no – there's no proof. I just think they're, they, they're not a good match right? philosophically, right. him and Tom Herman. So Texas is getting ready to take on Baylor on Saturday. We'll see what happens. This Baylor team, as we said, guys, is playing better. Um, they pushed Oklahoma to the limit. They pushed West Virginia to the limit. Who's going to be the starting quarterback? That's the question. And Charlie Brewer. No. taught that kid in oh, second really? grade. Oh, yes. nice. Um, Charlie Matt Brewer. Rule said it's going to be Zach Smith. Okay. So I guess it's going to be Zach Smith. The thing with Baylor is this. If you're Texas, to me, guys, this game isn't about any what Baylor does as much as it is about Texas. And we talk about this team gets off to slow starts. Can you eliminate whatever hope Baylor might have to win this game as early as possible? I, I oh, that's a good because because you know Sam has meant so much to this team. If he's not going to end up playing, and Shane's going to be the guy in terms right. of his like emotional lead, like he gets this team. Even Mac, and Tom Herman said this. He's the one that gets this team going. His he almost sets the tone for this team he's and like the way Tebow. he plays the ball. Yeah, and so I do wonder emotionally, and it's going to be on the road in Waco. Is it early morning game to eleven a.m.? You know, I want they'll get the quick start they need. You let Baylor stay in a game early, and that will be an emotional game because yeah. Baylor and Texas don't like oh, one another. they're so hungry, and they've been yeah. playing well. They aren't as bad as the record says because they're winless, exactly. and they got embarrassed so, so bad, but they've been much improved. I, it, it works because Texas was – ain't no guaranteed win left on this schedule for Texas. Yes, no, I no. said it, and that includes Kansas, who you lost to last year. Too. Yeah. I mean, honestly – it's what is it seven and a half still, Matt? Uh, I'll check it right now. But yeah, yeah. I, I had seen it down to nine. It was nine. nine. Yeah, I will say last time I saw it was at nine. But you're you, you're missing your best offensive weapon. Yeah, arguably your only offensive he weapon. He is your offense. It's he down is to eight. your offense. You're missing your. You're gonna go to Baylor without your offense. Yeah. They essentially no. No, I'm serious. If Sam can play, you're going without an offense, essentially. And that worries me, considering how bad the offense is, even when it's the Sam Ellinger show. If I were mm-hmm. a betting man, I'd be all over that nine. I would yeah. too. It's at eight now, but yeah, that's what I the whole too. public has been. At, at eight, I I'd be too. at eight, I'd be all over it. Yeah. Let's see I think you might public. get a low-scoring game here. I say that, and here we just came off a thirteen-ten <laughs> overtime game in well, the we Big said 12. It was gonna have to be a shootout. Yeah, I, you know, because uh, oh no, shootouts. Texas don't like them, so I don't know. It's gonna be ugly. Te- all Texas games are ugly. That's one thing yeah. Texas is really good at: grinding the game out and making it ugly, man. But Rod, it goes back to what I said after the USC game, and this is kind of this season in a nutshell. When Deshaun Elliott picked that pass off right before the half. My only thought was he's got to score on this. He's got to score. Yeah, I was hoping that too. You got to be able to create non-offensive scores. Yeah, in this game, I agree with that. No question. And our defense has done a good job of that. Uh, not in the last few weeks or so, but they have done a good job of that this so year. I, I honestly, man, right now I don't feel good about this game. Who are you picking? I don't. I'm gonna pick uh, Texas, but I'm, I'm picking I'm gonna, Texas. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a Baylor cover. Uh, I don't trust. I don't trust this offense. I'll pick Texas. I, 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 I don't trust this offense. I damn sure don't trust this offense without Sam Ellinger. I also say I don't trust. What I, I trust. I trust Texas to win by like six. I just don't even know what that score could because, be. Because because <laughs> you're no, gonna, just like last week. This <laughs> offensive staff's gonna have to prove to me. You know how they're gonna defend Shane Bouchelle. What are you gonna do to answer? What is your counterpunch? Yeah. How are you gonna stop? And it? either we're gonna see one that resembles somewhat of a competent game plan, or we're gonna see the same thing we saw against Iowa State, where it's just. Except for maybe a drive here or there where it's just kind of you're just feeling your way through and just yeah. hoping you can make it to the end. Yeah. No, I, I think – and, I, and I'm, I'm with Matt. I think Baylor smells this as kind of the, uh, one of their big wins this yeah. year. They can smell it because Texas is ripe for it. Missing the quarterback, 
11 a.m. coming off a disappointing At loss. Home underdog. Yeah, man. Texas that's, is ripe for that's, it. That's a fan, that's a fan base too. Yeah, that has been feeling better because they're seeing this team with a mm-hmm. lot of freshmen having to play improve. That's a fan base that if they get a win over Texas, that'll be a big deal. And there's a lot, you know, there's a there's oh, a lot of extra animosity between these two fan yes. bases because of last, what's happened the last two years. Yes. Yeah. All right, boys. We say we pick some games and get on out of here. Let's do it. So, who you got, Texas, and your score? Well, are we we gonna pick some other games, man? Yes, sir. Oh, what are our records right now? Uh, I am twenty-two and thirteen. I went three and two last week. Rod went three and two as well. He's nice. twenty and fifteen. You went two and three last week. You're seventeen and eighteen. Woo! Texas got me, man. Texas it was Texas. I took Texas. Oh yep. yes, right. Mm. All uh, right. Well, almost though. Starting off again with Texas Baylor. Why don't we say that got? one for the end? We'll say right. Texas Baylor for the end. Okay. All right, Mississippi State, A&M. I'll take Mississippi State. Ooh. Where is this game starting? I'll, Aggie. Take, I'll take A&M, man. I'm taking A&M. Yeah. The yeah. Aggies are playing well, man. They actually are playing decent. I'll They're take, figuring things out. I'll take out. the Aggies. All right, huh? I'm taking Ohio State against Penn State. Who y'all got? Oh, I'm taking this Penn is in State. in Columbus, huh? You know what? Give me the Buckeyes. Ohio State's playing better offensively, mm. um, and I don't think Michigan's that good, as impressive as that State. win was for okay, Penn State. Good. So. Yeah, give me Ohio State. I'm taking Penn State. I'll take Franklin. Yep, I'm taking Ohio State. And then we're going to go with Leach taking on Arizona, the fighting Mike Leaches of Washington State. Oh, Washington State. I don't even need to know. Where is this game at? At Arizona. You know what? Give me Arizona. Give me Arizona because Washington State's kind of struggled offensively. And Arizona's got something brewing with Khalil Tate, a quarterback. I saw them put it to UCLA a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, give me Arizona. All right, I'm taking Mike Leach. And I got to make up a game somewhere, Rod. We're going to – that's how you keep losing games. I know. But <laughs> yeah, y'all know why I don't gamble. TCU versus Iowa State. I got TCU. Yeah, give me oh, TCU. Oh, yeah, that's easy. That's easy. Give me TCU. Cool, but props, props, to, props to Iowa State for being ranked in the AP poll for the first time since 2005. Oh, wow. How about that? All right, then back full circle to Texas Baylor. I will take Texas, but I'll take a – I'll take a Baylor cover. I'll take something like twenty to thirteen, or no, twenty to since it's what is it, eight right now? Yeah, right? it's eight now. Yeah, tw- I take a like a twenty to thirteen, twenty to fourteen, kind of kind of win for Texas. I'm gonna go. Texas wins twenty three twenty one. Barely. I'd be calling for the nail biter. Yeah, barely scratched by man. Yeah, I don't even know what to do with the score, but yeah, I'm saying Texas wins seventeen sixteen. Yeah, it's gonna be exactly. It's gonna be. It's gonna it's be. It's gonna be uglier than we think. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be like ugly, one of those man. your weekly twelve to nine NFL game. There's been one of those every week. That's all field goals. It's true. So, yes. so are we saying like Texas and Baylor is like the Jags and Browns? Yeah, pretty so much. What, so yeah, those exactly would be right. a shootout though. Yeah, yeah. bad defenses. Now, no, Jags defense is Jackson, legit. Really good secondary. Really bad run defense. Like like Browns, Jets, like that 11 a.m. game on Sunday ticket. uh, Also, I believe uh, the most 75-plus yard rush touchdowns, though, too. Very bad against the run. Worst in the NFL against the run. All right, Matt. Thanks for everything, man. You are more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at our new home, 104.9 The Horn, hornfm.com. For Matt doing his work on our SoundCloud page where you can get this podcast each and every week. And thanks to Matt. You can also get us on iTunes, TuneIn, any podcast app. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget that Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. You get our archives, news shows, everything we got ready to go courtesy of Matt Buller and the great job he does. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.